0: Hi there, and welcome to our Hollowed fruit podcast. Here we will meet inspirational LGBTQIA plus persons whose journeys and practices illustrate the flowering and fertile possibilities for all of our souls. I'm Brian Anthos, a spiritual guide for pleasure and peace seekers. You can find out more about me at briananthos.com. Let's take a moment now to pause and find some quiet, and to consider again that we are a part of something larger than ourselves. As we begin, let us be at peace. Welcome to Episode 2 of Our Hollowed Fruit. Today, we welcome healthcare crusader Dr. Johan Torres from South Florida. Hello, world. Hello, universe. And welcome back to our Hollowed Fruit podcast. I'm Brian Anthos, and welcome to you. Thank you for listening. And I'm incredibly grateful to welcome our guest today, Dr. Johan Torres. Dr. Johan is the Senior Medical Director and Chief Medical Information Officer at a community health center in South Florida. And Dr. Johan, before we go any further, thank you to you and your entire team for all the work that you always do, but especially this year uh, in your role on the front lines of fighting COVID 19 pandemic. So thank you.
1: You're welcome. And thank you for bringing me on to your uh,
0: podcast uh, this week. Absolutely. And so, Dr. Johan, you describe yourself as a healthcare crusader, and I agree. Uh, you also describe yourself as a musician, a lover of food, a husband, and a deep sci fi nerd. <laughs> so johan all of you is welcome here today to our hollowed <laughs> fruit that's great and again i'm grateful for your time uh and for you to come along on this journey today thank you
1: yes um so healthcare crusader uh i i've had this feeling from the very beginning i actually didn't come directly to healthcare um that's that's an odd thing to say both my parents were doctors and um, we they actually discouraged me from going the same path as they did. Um, I, I initially went a different way, and it took a while for me to come back to it. So I was a little older than your regular medical student when I started medical school. But even from that time, you know, I, I believe healthcare is a right. I believe that it's an important part of our lives. It's more than just healthcare. It's wellness care. It's full-body wellness. And I'm absolutely dedicated, uh, which is why I work where I work, to especially equalizing inequalities so that's that's why i use that term um for for myself lover food this is i know this is a audio podcast but all you have to do is look at the size of my tummy and, <laughs> and that becomes very very obvious um but yes i like i like good food
0: <laughs> well we're, we're grateful and and so grateful that you have found your way at some point back to the work and the field that you're in again and it is always interesting in life when we try to pull away from things uh, and then somehow we just keep getting pulled back into it
1: well, that is true, and I think that um, exploration uh, is is important it's sometimes you just have to make sure that you are um, interested in what you're interested in and that you're not interested in what you're not interested in um, that that kind of searching. Portion of all our journeys, I think, is important. You can't, one of, one of the things that drives me most, and this includes in my clinical practice, is um, you, you're, you don't know that it's not going to work unless you actually try it. You don't know that you dislike something or that someone is going to dislike an approach that you take in, in let's say, their clinical care, um, unless you actually offer it to them and try it and see how it works. Um, so that, that pervades everything that I do, especially in my professional life and definitely in my own personal life.
0: So, Johan, give us a sense of what this last year has been like um, and however words can do that justice uh, for you and the team at the clinic.
1: So the most obvious, I think, to start off with is challenging. Um, And uh, maybe the second, um, maybe also obvious, is frenetic. So uh, from the very beginning, from the onset of this pandemic, it's been a rush of one uh, crazy flurry of activity to the next, to the next, to the next. Um, so starting around almost exactly a year ago, around February this time, we started the preparations before uh, I think anybody was really aware, including ourselves, was really aware how bad this was going to be. Um, and, uh, and then uh, moving on from there, when the actual pandemic was declared and our, our nation mostly shut down, Um, which for me was very early. I was actually forced into quarantine um, for an exposure event early on um, the day before uh, the pandemic was declared and the week before um, all the shutdowns started to happen. So I had to find a way to be able to do what I needed to do, um, not physically at the center. That's just one example of the challenge Um, and be able to um, work really in uh, really in a frenzy and, you know, not my choice, but, but to deal with the frenzy and flurry of activity from my desk at home versus from uh, being in physically in the center. So that's, that's been what it's, you know, taken us from Um, doing testing and rolling out a testing uh, program from finding ways to serve our patients in a safe way um, versus the way we used to do things. And not that that was not safe, but safe in the context of of COVID-19, making sure all the measures were there to make sure that everyone was wearing masks, everyone was screened before they came in. All those procedures didn't exist um, with even with as much planning as we had. And they didn't exist um, in a way that matches what we know today, um, at the time in March and April, so it was a constant day to day, making sure everything was right, um, making sure we had the places to send people who were sick, dealing. I mean, you know, a health center is a health center, we were busy, even before COVID started, and to try to deal with our uh, tens of thousands of patients that we serve on on a yearly basis, um, in a way that keeps them from becoming infected. That that didn't exist. Um, you know the platform we're using nowadays a lot of people use these virtual platforms like Zoom, uh, Microsoft Office, etc. They existed, but we didn't use them in our clinic uh, for various reasons. And we had to we had to get that on on board and moving uh, almost immediately. And, and we were able to do it again um, because we just kept working and working and working through it. Uh, and that that goes all the way till now. This my past week um it has been absolutely consumed by rolling out our vaccination program so we it it was unexpected we we i mean in the sense it was unexpected in the sense of the timing we knew it was going to happen we had a general sense that it was going to happen sometime in january and february and i'm talking about vaccinating our own staff um on the front lines and uh, we just didn't know the exact date and so we could only plan a certain way and once the date was was confirmed it was Almost pretty much twenty four hours a day trying to get it put together um, and uh, most of the time in in one week to get the entire staff that that is eligible for vaccination vaccinated um, in the five days of of last week, five work days of last week so that that 's just the typical thing that's that 's been happening of um, for the past year, which i'm actually grateful for and I have to say that um, despite the fact that it's been very challenging, very frenetic. Um, taxing physically emotionally spiritually over the past year I'm absolutely grateful to to have been in a place where I can serve people I can help in the small way that I can um, you know I'm not an ICU doctor so I don't um, I don't serve in that frontline capacity where I'm actually taking care of nearly dying people so uh, kudos to, to those of my colleagues who are there. Um, but it, you know, at least I feel like I've been able to contribute in some way, and to me that is a, an absolute privilege to have um, to have been able to be in a place like that in this kind of um, event uh, that is ongoing in, in our in our world.
0: Yeah, thank you for that description, and I, I really can't imagine. I mean, and, you know, and, and in some ways, everything you described is so relatable that many. Moments you went through, the steps you were taking, the things you were thinking about, obtaining PPE, what are our new procedures, what can we do, what can't we do, moving to virtual formats. I mean, that's a relatable thing to, I think, most human beings this year, but just to imagine that in the space of healthcare um, just has to bring a, a very different weight to it. And, you know, again, thank you to everything that you and the team do.
1: Yes, for, I mean for sure, and and I I like that word, and I, it is it has been a weight. You know, the, any any physician, I think, um, or nurse or any any medical practitioner bears the weight of, of making sure that their patients uh, that they serve are are safe and taken care of. Um, in in my clinic, uh, as you mentioned, uh, like the, my my titles, I'm responsible for also our staff, and that has been a weight. But as I said um, already, it is actually a privilege. I think that it 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 feels good to have been able to to have that responsibility and bear it for the people that are that are with me. And I feel I find myself very very lucky um, to have been in that in that place at that time in this
0: era. Yeah, for sure. So as you think about this year and you and you think about all the transition you were doing, I, I'm wondering of sort of what has changed? Um, you're still seeing your patients for the most part, but in a virtual format. So what's the same? What's different? Maybe some obvious things, but I don't know. Give us some insight into that. So I'm an,
1: uh, I would consider myself um, an old school doctor in one sense, uh, in addition to, to always trying to be up to date uh, with the newest technology, the newest techniques, etc. I'm a very evidence-based doctor. On the other hand, I'm also um, an old-fashioned doctor in that even from medical school, I believe that physical examination, um, history taking is an important part uh, of medical care. Um, So, you know, we live in a digital age, it's, you know, the 21st century, a lot of medicine has fallen to algorithms, digital algorithms, that are um, pre-written, pre-determined. We we rely in medicine nowadays on technology, on all the imaging technologies and all the testing technologies. But I think it's important, an important part of medicine, and this this falls into that that category that we call in medicine, the art of medicine. A lot of uh, uh, medical practice um, really should rely still on physical examination, touching patients, um, listening to patients through their history, get, you know, but, uh, developing that bond. Uh, I feel some of my colleagues are afraid that uh, with the digital age that we will be replaced by computer algorithms and AI. I think that's never going to happen in at least to, to provide the kind of care that we that we provide. And one concept that I've always thought about even again even from medical school and through my career especially as a medical educator um, with our students and trainees is what i call the privilege of touch if you think about a medical interaction um you know and specifically the physical exam um, and what happens there your, your your physician your doctor your nurse practitioner um, puts their hands on you um, to listen to your lungs to listen to your heart um, there's an there's a, um, aspect of physical examination that we call palpation, which literally means to, to push on. So it pushes on your stomach, pushes on your lymph nodes, um, you know, feels different parts of the body, different parts of uh, your body with your hands. Think about that and think about who you give permission to do that, Right and that's yeah. that's probably for most people very few people I know for myself that that's a very very short list of people um and a lot of times your doctor the first time that you see them they they're a stranger you don't know them all you know is their their name and their and their credentials and you allow them to do this to you um you know to determine whether you have why you have knee pain to determine why those uh, limb nodes are swollen in your neck um that's that to me is a privilege and Um, Leading back to your original question about what has changed um, in the virtual world, uh, when you do telehealth, yes, I can get a history from you. Um, Yes, I can see some things, Uh, you know, I can even see there's technology these days that now I can even look inside your ear if you have the equipment at home, I can listen to your heart if you have the equipment, but that touch is missing. And um, the few patients that I've seen this year in person, and it's, and it's a very few. And this past week, in, in our uh, employee vaccination clinic, to being able to touch someone puts it enhances this bond that you that every physician should have with their patient. Further,s that bond, I think, reassures the patient and gives them um, something out of that interaction that you wouldn't otherwise have. And I don't think that's replaceable. I think that's there. Um, it's not only a privilege, but it's also something that is our gift to our patients. Um, uh, for when they come and see us for whatever reason. Even if it's just a, a simple, you know, results, um, you know, you don't really, you're not investigating anything, but a patient is there just to receive their lab results. I think it's important to have the face-to-face verbal interaction. And I've always told my trainees and my new providers, my doctors uh, that are in training and myself um, when even with those, listen to the heart and lungs because at least you're still furthering that bond between you and the patient. It's reassuring to most people, um, and that's an important part of the interaction between doctors and patients.
0: It's really incredible to hear that, and I think, again, I know for me, I'm very aware of a loss of a lot of touch that we just don't have right now, but this one, again, just seems to have extra weight that at all of all times, if someone is sick, they can't get that touch from the person caring for them, diagnosing them. So what can you do? What have you done to try to kind of close that gap? And then as you think about the future and you say we have to, eventually we have to touch again, what what does that look like? And is it at all different or transformed going forward?
1: I think one way that I've tried to, um to, compensate let's say for the lack of touch if you're if you're asking me in my professional um day-to-day life uh i try yeah. to give uh i like to think that i gave patients time to tell me uh, about themselves and to listen to their stories um, when I was face to face with them, um, I have the luxury, uh, in the position that, that I have now. So that's one way I've compensated is that when I'm doing a telehealth visit and I can't physically touch them to try to find other ways to, to bridge that gap and make bond with a patient, um, through, uh, a you know, um, through a, a telehealth medium whenever possible. I, you know, it's possible to do a telehealth visit, um, at least in Florida, um, it just verbally and whenever possible, I try to do it with a video um, a visit just because I want them to see me. I want them to be able to see my face. Um, I, I try to give them extra time um, to, to tell me how things are going, even if it's unrelated to their, um, quote unquote, unrelated to their medical visit. Although some people argue everything is related to their medical visit, um, <laughs> you know. Uh, so there's other ways to develop that one. It's not the perfect thing. And I think... <clears throat> Hopefully, in the future, that will change, but I've even heard that from patients. you know the patients are will tell me it's nice to see your face. I can't wait to see you in person again. Um, there is a certain interaction that that can't be <clears throat> cre- achieved through a, a you know a virtual platform.
0: yeah, sounds like in many ways um, similar to other parts of life where the for now the the sight and the sound um, keep us connected to that touch into these other senses that eventually we will reconnect with, but making use of these other ones in greater ways.
1: I will. That's, that's exactly. And I think another aspect of this uh, is that, um, you know, to look at, I try to, to look at um, more, you know, the positive side of everything and try to, I know this is a cliche phrase, but to, to try to make lemonade out of lemons um, I think also these virtual platforms, d- despite the lack of touch and everything, I think helps us achieve things that we couldn 't normally achieve. Um, you know a patient will wait in the waiting room for for example, a patient will wait in a waiting room for an hour, two hours, in my virtual waiting room, they, they will wait very little time because no one has to get their blood pressure. No one has to weigh them. It's a quick thing, but still able to, to make that connection. So again, it, it, from my clinical practice, I've been able to see patients more frequently um, and they don't have to drive to the clinic. That's another thing. It's convenient for them. So um, I can see someone who, and still form that, those connections in the best way that I can in a virtual setting more frequently that also compensates for the fact that I can't have them physically with me in the same room where I can I can do that bonding there. So there there are ways to do this and in real if you think about take that out of clinical life, you know, we can't uh necessarily meet with our friends, you know, every week, but it is easier in your pajamas and from your couch right. to connect with people online than it is to, to put your whole outfit on and then go out and see them wherever you're going to see them at dinner That's right. at a Bar, you know,
0: a lot less effort, and we tend to be less late these days. I don't know. Exa- I feel that way. At no, least I'm definitely that
1: way. <laughs> you know me. <laughs> <laughs> I have a tendency to be late to everything, and it's a lot easier <laughs> to be not late when you're on when you're on Zoom than you, or, or whatever virtual platform. So yes, yeah. I think you know that's one thing that I've tried to do. That's another thing in this year, and I think it's important for us as we try to achieve. Uh, to ret- that that goal of returning back to normal, I think my, my, again my own personal feeling and i 've tried to to convey this to everyone i 'm around is let 's not return to normal i mean let 's see the, you know these new things have been presented to us, these new tools have been presented to us let 's take this experience of of having to do things virtually and find a way to make us better when when that new normal, whatever that new normal looks like. Um, is upon us so you know maybe connect uh, i'll give you an example from my personal life if if there's time if you want to talk about this, sure you know i i have college friends friends from from when i was in university at duke Um, and this is like i'm old enough to to say that that's in last century so you know some (laughs) of them some of them are you know we haven't all gotten together in the same place and everyone lives everywhere from california to scotland to whatever um, and all of us haven't gotten together in the same room. You know, individually we have, but we have uh, not gotten together together um, in the same place. But we were on Zoom over the holidays together, and it was beautiful to have those. Um, I think about eight people together again you know, even though it's virtually, at least to see everybody's faces together. That that works for my family. There's some family members that we all got together uh, right after the holiday. Some of them live live in the Philippines, and all of us together physically have not been together, even on a phone call, you know, together um, ever, I think. And to have all of us together in that, in that one space, even if it was virtual, that was a beautiful thing. And I think that can continue even after this pandemic is over. Why not?
0: Absolutely. Personal life, professional life. I think we all have those learnings. I know I do. And things that I do want to keep from this experience and use in new ways and kind of create this hybrid way of life of, you know, take what actually we realized are good things and incorporate them into a little bit of a return to some things that we really miss too. So yeah, really helpful. Thank you. So, Johan, a significant part of your health center is its service to those living with HIV. Um, What are some of your reflections on this time that we're in uh, currently um, as you think back to the HIV epidemic, um, and especially as a member of the LGBTQ plus community yourself?
1: Uh, that's a great question, and I think um, there are definitely echoes of um, of what we experienced with uh, the onset of the HIV, really pandemic, epidemic, whichever way you want to look at it worldwide, um, you know, uh, there is, was that social distancing. In fact, early on, um, I'm going to back up, so uh, early on in the pandemic, when um, one of my close friends was uh, hospitalized because of COVID and none of us could go see um, him in the hospital In fact, and he was intubated meaning that he was on a ventilator, um, unconscious on a ventilator. I remember the anxiety and the fear and the um, worry I had for him when I knew no one was gonna be able to talk to him um, wh- because he'd be unconscious for the next who knows how long and may never wake up again for me that again i'm old enough to to have remembered the time when that that happened to uh to some of the people that i was friends with back in in the last century again when uh in the um when we had no treatments for hiv when we had or few treatments and people were being hospitalized and put on ventilators for um the pneumonia that's associated with hiv so that echo um came back to me it was really painful and um worrisome and luckily this person recovered it took a long time um you know and luckily this person was in um this happened in the digital age because even though i couldn't speak to him or um call him or visit him obviously um you know we had uh, text messages and i could text every single day even though he was not seeing them until after he woke up that was a wonderful thing to at least see the 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 um you know uh litany of texts that i had sent them saying i'm thinking about you i'm worried about you You that that did not happen in the early days of hiv obviously because we did not have this means and then the other thing is um you know this prevention piece how to avoid becoming infected and um you know in the early days of early ish days we, we which is still carried over till today um uh, you know, part of my prevention and um, activities in the in the um, in the 20th century, in the 90s, relating to HIV, um, was uh, at uh, AIDS prevention organizations, including the National AIDS Hotline. And I remember we ta- we were talking about something called um, risk mitigation or risk management, um, knowing that people were going to take risk, in other words, have unprotected sure. sex, but ways to make it more less risky. Um, and that was a lot of what we talked about back then. It's um, similar to now, you know, the only non-risky activity is to be by yourself. But we are, as we discussed, we are social creatures. Human beings are social creatures, creatures of touch. And that's not possible for some of us. So the same feelings that I had in the in the early part of the AIDS epidemic, again, being so involved in prevention measures back then, when i would hear stories of my friends having unprotected sex never using condoms refusing to use condoms because um, you know, I hear the the panoply, of, I heard the panoply of excuses, they're too small, they're not, they don't feel right, it's better, sex is better without them, blah, 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 all the stuff that we still mm-hmm. hear today, but not as much. You hear the same things now, well, I don't like masks, they, they're too restricting, they, you know, I can't right. breathe when I'm in them, how am I going to go dancing or whatever, you know, those same conversations are happening now, and I'm not sure I found a way to deal with it, That that same set of feelings is coming back now that, that were, were back then. Um, I try to be at peace with it, especially with friends who take the risks, um, that I, I know and, uh, could put them in a very precarious situation. And, you know, the thoughts of them being in, um, you know, in the hospital and having those experiences, I just, it's hard, but it's here.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Um, thank you for that. And I, I think the, um, you know, you mentioned, and we've heard this a lot over the past year, we get to this point of, you know, well, really the safest thing is to sit in your house and and don't leave. For so many reasons, people leave and people have to leave because of so many other variables and factors. So when it comes to sex, from a sexual health standpoint, I don't know if maybe you can give us some of your just personal feedback and ideas around what is the safest um, and then maybe what is safer. Does that make sense?
1: Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Um, it, it's interesting and fitting that this topic will will uh, come up after the last one because similar things um, happened during the AIDS epidemic. And I remember the early days of the AIDS epidemic. I, ju- I remember talking about things like, Mutual masturbation uh, phone sex um you know back then, um, I remember learning the term dental dam <laughs> I didn't even know what that was um, which if you don't know if it, who some some of your listeners might not know it's it's a piece of um, of latex that um, is used in the in dental procedures but can be used as a barrier um, for uh, to prevent transmission of HIV. And as I've researched um, safer sex practices here in the age of COVID, that term dental dam came up again uh, in, in some of the materials wow. that I looked. It's it's very interesting. So, you know, if we're going to talk about the safest, um, you know, obviously sex with yourself, which is healthy, um, you know, masturbation is very, very healthy. And actually not only exercises your, your, physical parts but you know um i believe uh, as a person uh that um sexual activity is uh should be like a full being activity um so you are stimulating your mind you're stimulating your imagination i'm a pisces i live in in my imagination constantly (laughs) (laughs) and um you know to me i think that's a that's a wonderful way to start exploring you know to, to keep yourself as safe as possible by maybe, you know, avoiding sexual activity with other people, but develop your sexual practices with yourself. Um, That seems silly and weird to some people, I'm sure, but, you know, it's take the time now, take this opportunity, you know, just like Venice, the the canals of Venice took the opportunity to bring the fish back with no people there, you know, with no people in your, in your, in your grinder profile, (laughs) find a way, you know, to help develop and reinvigorate your mind, in your own um, self-sexual practice. So that's the safest. If you want to go by gradation, that's obviously the safest.
0: I love it. Just this uh, idea of this inward journey, right? And what is there and what's available to us any day, even without a pandemic to realize it. Right. Um, I know for myself, I know for many friends that there's been a lot of discovery with this time that we've had really at home and nowhere to go for most of the year. And so that maybe, you know, masturbation and, maybe even new masturbation practices and learnings of what's out there and available, um, it can be good for this year. And it might be something we take with us, too.
1: Right. I think, you know, one thing about people, especially young, younger people, um, and I want to say even, I want to even venture to say that especially within our community, American gay community, um, you know, we get into a, a rut very easily we we are creatures of habit as much as we are creatures of touch and, and socialization so you think we think that the only way to enjoy food is at a restaurant you know at this restaurant with these people with this ter- surrounding with people serving you we th- so in the same vein you know I think we are a or we have a cultured ourselves especially in the digital age to think that the only way that you can get settle- sexual satisfa- satisfaction is through an app, through someone coming over, you know, um, through your group of people that you you, you frequent, um, whatever it is, you know, um, and we don't think about the isolation. I'm sure, you know, even before the pandemic, people were masturbating, but um, maybe take this time to find different ways and, uh, and really focus on your own, um, you know, sexual needs instead of, so easily because you know before this especially you know with in the past 10 to 20 years with all the apps i've uh, mentioned one but there's many you know all the apps that are available it's so much easier to find a partner than it was um in uh 10 20 years ago you know it where you had to work at it um well now that's taken from us so maybe take the time to really explore yourself really explore your body and figure out what's going on
0: yeah it's really a wonderful idea that you know, and and remembering that we ourselves are our own sexual being and to explore that a little more. So going back, so sex with oneself, certainly the safest. I think some extensions from that, you mentioned phone sex. Right. And then I would also say virtual through many virtual platforms where video is possible.
1: Absolutely. So, you know, again, going back to, to my experience through the AIDS epidemic, you know, we were giving, um, uh, safer sex advice back in the in the 90s, you know, phone, phone sex was the only thing available, we did not have, um, you know, uh, the internet capacity that we have today. Nowadays, we're very, very lucky. I mean, you have all these, I mean, short of a machine helping you out, <laughs> physically, <laughs> which, which exists, which too. exists, too but is not widely available. But you know, uh, you know, especially men, um, you know, we are visual, sexual beings. So you have this opportunity to, to use, you know, to connect with people, um, sometimes half a world away, you know, it is still a connection. You're not touching them. They're not putting parts in you. You're not putting parts in them. You're not exchanging fluids, but at the very least you have that connection. And I think some people might be shy or squeamish or, um, you know uh again maybe this is a controversial term maybe to, f- personally too prudish i don't mean that as value judgment that's just that's just the way they are but here's a way you can do it where there's very little risk i mean de identify yourself on <laughs> on on whatever virtual platform that you have all they see is your face or even hide your face and you know and you're and you're there you know th- there's so many things that are out there in 2021 that you can use to make those connections with other people um, in a sexual way.
0: Right. Yeah. I, I think for some, there's always a question of privacy, but I think in the same breath, how little we think of privacy when we're on an app and going to a strange right. place, a strange house, or inviting <laughs> a strange person to our house. Right. <laughs> um, for some reason we've gotten over that bit of privacy many people, exactly. um, but then somehow when it comes to the phone or the internet, when many are not there um or never have experienced it or allowed it, so yeah, yet another possibility to be a sexual being in a time of pandemic and then I guess the other one is just in terms of engaging with another person would be a person whom you live with correct
1: of course, so people that you live with um you're always with them anyway um you know there's there there are ways to to if for example you live with a roommate if that's what you're talking about or um, or um, some you know friend with benefit um, you know maybe not spending the time in the same room not sleeping in the same bed normally but now you know you have that ability to to have um, sexual relationships with them if they're out and about obviously you have to consider them as if they were someone else you know somewhere living next door or living across town um, obviously with your partner um, who you may wake up next to every single day that's that's essentially the same thing I mean it's safe because it's safe in the sense that you know, you're with them anyway. It's no more dangerous than eating dinner with them because you live with them, right? You know, watching TV right. with them, sleeping. There's in the still same bed.
0: possibility one transmits COVID to the other, but no less risk than, or more risk than, yeah, eating dinner or watching a movie with them in, in the living room.
1: Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. So it's it's not increased risk. It's not inviting a stranger into your house or someone who does not, right. you know, in your quote unquote bubble. You know, moving from there, if you if you talk about bubbles, some people have successfully created their own bubbles. Um, and having sex within your own COVID bubble, I think, is the next step beyond that. So someone you don't live with necessarily, but you have quarantined with in the sense that you you've agreed to not spend social time, whether it's sex or not, um, with those same people. That that um, that's not the most perfect thing, even in, in non-sexual life. If you're talking about you know people who go out together. People who have dinner at each other's houses or um, if, if people have children, you know, they, they share daycare responsibilities within the same small group of people. I Unfortunately, this is a, an audio podcast. If I had a video, I would show you a very good infographic where it shows that you remember this, this is the bubble that you think you have. And then really yeah. the bubble you do have is the, this person's other person who has another person. That's your entire bubble. So just be careful with that. Um, you know, you're one person that you're having sex with or you're two people who you don't live with who you're having sex with regularly in your, in your sexual bubble might be having sex with other people or they might not be having sex, but they're exposing themselves you know, through their work, through their uh, other social activities. So just be careful with that.
0: Right. Yeah. For every one person we add in is all of the things that they do throughout the week. Absolutely. Work, the grocery store, even the most minutiae of detail. It's just right. It's more than that one person I have being around them, for sure.
1: You know, circling back to to my experience as a medical professional in this pandemic is that I don't know how many times I cannot even count how many times in the past um, year, almost year, I've heard, well, I was being careful and I don't understand how it is that I got infected. And, you know, careful investigation, you find that there was that one time with that one person that they thought was okay. You know, that right. that always happens. And and then recircling back to another topic we talked about earlier is the AIDS um, epidemic. There used to be a saying back in the 90s that you're having sex with everyone that your person is having sex with. So it's not just that person you're having sex with. It's everyone that they had sex with and so on. to so the person that the other sure. person had sex with, et cetera.
0: Sure. And then I would just have to think just hygiene in general, um, as we talk about for any day and any moment right now, it just becomes that much more important if we are going to engage in sex with someone outside of our house.
1: That that's exactly right. So yeah, uh, hand washing is is absolutely important. If you can work masks into your sexual activities with people who don't normally live with you, um, again, this is this is your opportunity to make things creative. Um, you know, just instead of whatever mask you might have been using or no mask, put on a, you know at least put on a mask. That's at least helpful. Um, you know, a lot of us, of course, enjoy. Um, face-to-face contact with sexual activity. And maybe this is not the time you do everything else, but face-to-face contact, um, you know, wear a mask and not have any kissing, not have any, you know, uh, mouth to body part contact. Um, because that's, that's where the virus comes from and how it's transmitted. You know, again, it's, it's a time to be creative. There's, there's ways to do this as I was reading about the ways that, um, some of the, uh, health departments and other experts and other gay men's groups, um, have been uh, the recommendations they make. There's some interesting recommendations in there, including working in the medical masks, using, um, you know, uh, I don't know if there's, I I can't even think of the medical term for this, using a glory hole. So a hole where the only (laughs) space, an orifice, where the only contact you have is with um, a part that's not the mouth. Uh, So the genitals, the butt, whatever, whichever part of it, you know, that's relatively, it's not 100% safe, but it's relatively safe. And that's actually, that's not just coming from me. That's coming from, you know, health experts, health departments. um, Again, gay men's groups um, related to health are out there. That's not the most safe thing. But again, we're talking about risk mitigation. And um...
0: Sure, sure. I think, you know, to think about how we've had this conversation, there's, you know, how we started. What is the safest um, and then if we are going to engage in some activity, which at this point, a lot of people are, right, just being honest. So what what can we do to be as safe as we can? And, and to your point, let's be creative. Right. Um, why not? Because we might learn something new about ourselves and our desires and our interests and uh, something that we can take with us, too. So I think, you know, just hearing all of this, like this can be a time of exploration, even Agreed. discovery, rather than focusing on, as we so often do, and for good reason, and I do it too, it's sort of what we can't have. Right. It, it's easy to say what we can't have. And in the conversation of sex, there is so much we cannot have. Right. Um, if, if we're trying to be safe. Um, so what is the exploration in there? And, and what discovery can we make? Right? Exactly. Yeah. Thank you so much. So Johan the title of this podcast our hollowed fruit um what is your fruit to the world if you will what what is your sacred gift sacred fruit that kind of special something that you bring to this world
1: um well that's that i think that's pretty easy we're we're doing it now this um you know uh, allowing me to be at this is at, on the on your podcast is part of that that the expression of that fruit. I have been, um, I, I definitely consider it an absolute blessing that I was given uh, this intellect that allowed me to get through medical school, through residency training, and to be able to practice medicine in an intelligent and evidence-based, science-based way. I've been given a voice um, by the fact that I have credentials after my name. I have a couple letters after my name that lends credibility to the things I say, whether it's about um, the things that I that I talk about in my clinical practice or even just mundane things like like how to have safe sex. <laughs> it, it's uh, that all of that. Uh, the fact that I have the time to do this and the um, you know the uh, facility, the med- the monetary ability to to spend free time um, sharing uh, that, that knowledge and to acquire more and more knowledge, all of that I consider an, an incredible, incredible privilege and gift and um, I believe that I'm extremely lucky and that's the fruit that I'm trying to share with the world is knowledge so being able to absorb all that knowledge to take the time to keep researching what's out there um, to listen to uh, nationwide experts to interact with nationwide experts that's an access that a lot of people don't have obviously Um, you know uh, it's I think it's Not just a privilege, but it's uh, it's an obligation that I have in in this crisis to, uh, in particular, to spread as much information out there so that people can make their own decisions, and to help uh, people if they have trouble making that decision to have safer sex, to have um, protect themselves, to wear the mask, to get the vaccine, um, you know, to do their own risk mitigation plan. I know, Brian, you follow me on Facebook, and I've been extremely vocal on Facebook about people doing what we think should, um, should be done in order to prevent the transmission. And on a day-to-day basis, I don't know how many conversations I have, and I use this knowledge that I've been able to acquire. You know, a year ago, I didn't know anything about coronavirus, <laughs> i think most of right. us don't you know so right. most of us didn't uh you know i knew what kind of virus it was i'm familiar i had a i, had, I have a strong background in virology actually in not just in the medicine um and um and uh my degree in microbiology was centered on virology and it, it's you know i knew that in term what a coronavirus was and what kind of virus it was but i didn't know anything about this this disease and to have been able to acquire that knowledge and then have that knowledge, I I feel like it's an obligation to, for me to share it to the world. That's the fruit that I'm trying to share in this past year.
0: Absolutely. And, you know, you sort of how you describe yourself to me that I shared in the beginning is as a healthcare crusader. And I think that that uh, really kind of just uh, under, helps understand how you see yourself and how you carry yourself. I would also say, you know, you say the mundane things like sexual health or however you put it. Um we did just talk about a glory hole. So that's hardly <laughs> m- mundane, but right. That's, <laughs> well, for some of us, it might be. So, <laughs> Oh, okay. I see. I see. Uh, Johan, if you can share with us, um, a s- self-care practice that helps you stay grounded, find some calm, especially in a moment like we're in,
1: so again, I keep saying how I, I and and I keep saying this because I, I absolutely believe it, and um and I and it's part of my own personal practice of Thanksgiving for everything that I that I that I am able to have. Um, it is I, I'm extremely lucky. You are because you're in the same location as I am. Um, extremely lucky to live in South Florida, um, and we have so much ability to go out into nature. All year round, pretty much. You know, there's very few days that we can't go out there. It hurt, you know, the hurricanes come through. But um, so, my self care practice that um, I had before the pandemic so a little bit, but in particular during this pandemic is something that's called in in Japanese. It's called shinrin yoku, and if you translate that directly, that's that translates to shinrin means forest and yoku means bathing. Um, so forest bathing. Um, and that practice relates to being around trees in specifically, obviously forest um, bathing. So spending time among trees to recharge, to detoxify, to um, to just e- it kind of even out your mind and find equilibrium again in, in a hec- hectic time. You know, Japan is a very hectic technology-based society. Um, that's I think that's why it has its roots there in Japan in particular. So forest bathing, um, shinrin yoku, spending time around trees. Um, I'm also very lucky to live in a park. If I if I walk out my front door, there's three giant oak trees in my in my front yard, um, and two two more steps beyond our driveway, there's an entire park of um, younger oak trees. Uh, that is just the neighborhood that I live in. So um, I try to spend as much time as I can, especially on busy days, even if it's just a half an hour walking around the circle in front of our house. Um, There are other, you know, uh, tree groves in our neighborhood. So, you know, half an hour, half mile walk down the way is our public park for our our whole clinic uh, for our whole neighborhood. And, um, you know, it's nice to be around those trees. It gives you oxygen scientific level. It gives you all that extra oxygen and other other um, gaseous um, uh, materials that help you, um, you know, feel good um, and help you recharge. Um, that's something that that I uh, have been lucky to do and I've been trying to do even more actually forced to do even more <laughs> if I'm working at home yeah. then it's right there um you know and um and and it doesn't have to be uh, forest bathing actually it doesn't have to be trees so um in english we we also use the word nature therapy so spending time in nature um you know uh, again being in South Florida the ocean is right there for for me it's i don't know how far it is from your place Brian but for me it's it's not even two miles away is where the Atlantic Ocean is and you know I can get there in the morning before I go to work which I have especially during the pandemic um, and just spend time looking at the sunrise listening to the water tuning out the rest of the world resetting my brain Um, I've been there at lunchtime you know when I was uh, before the pandemic or if I'm in the office it's it's not even you know a five minute drive across the bridge And there you are, it's the bay, Biscayne Bay or the Atlantic Ocean. Um, That is my selfish self-care time. And uh, we are lucky to live in a place where that can be done in such a glorious location. um, You know, yeah, I I
0: agree. I agree. There's so much, especially living where we live. And um, but would say that, you know, to wherever anyone lives who's listening, um, there's a way to get outside, even if it's for a few minutes. I remember spending most of my life up in the Northeast. One of the things I just used to love was when it started to snow, and especially at night. And there's something about that first bit of snow that accumulates on the ground, and it's completely untouched. Everyone's inside. There's been no plow to muck it up. There's no sand. There's no salt. It's just that fresh snow. And even though on the surface, you'd kind of say that's a silent act of snow falling. I used to just love walking in that freshly fallen snow at night. And to me, it was a rather loud experience. Like that snow was loud to me. And and there was such a presence in it. Now, I'm very happy where I live. And (laughs) I don't miss snow on a regular basis, though I will eventually go visit snow again is what I tell my family. But you know, wherever anyone is right now, I think just what I know i can take from your sharing johan is uh just to to get out to be with nature to be outside to get fresh air especially for those of us inside so much right now so that's great thank you for sharing that oh of course
1: and you know what you just described is is part of the practice it's not just being there but it's using your senses listening to um the forest if it's a forest listening to the snow taking in the cold if it's if it's snow um, if if you're in a, in a forest part of the practice is listening to the leaves rustle, um, listening and feeling the the breeze on your face, all of that is part of it. You know, smelling the earth around the trees, or if it's fall, you know when the when the tree the leaves are starting to um, uh, decompose, smelling that you know that's all part of the practice of Shinrin Yoku, and um, what you described is perfect.
0: So thank you to everyone uh, for joining us today for listening to this next stop in our journey here at Our Hollowed Fruit. Um, again, I'm Brian Anthos. You can find me at briananthos.com. That's b-r-y-a-n-a-n-t-h-o-s.com. And Johan, if someone would like to reach out to connect with you, uh, maybe some questions or uh, something that really connected with them today, um, where can they find you? Where can they reach you?
1: i think the easiest way and the best way to get in touch with me for um you know for personal interaction is on instagram um that's at, uh just j t like my first name j um t, t like uh thomas um miami so just j t miami on instagram
0: johan this has been wonderful thank you so much for your time for all that you do and for sharing so much today thank you my pleasure and i uh, hope we can have you back again oh of course anytime great so to all again listening thank you again for stopping by and until next time